Hi guys, I'm Chris. And I'm Mike. And welcome back to this week's No Limits, a Mitrap podcast. How you doing this week, Mike? Pretty good. I mean, I shot my personal best at golf a few days ago, so I'm in a good place right now, my friend. Ooh. Jumping right in with the golf. Uh, gotta start with it. You know us. Well, how are you doing? What's new over there with the Furmans? Nothing much. That's awesome, though. I'm glad uh, glad you shot your personal best. So you texted me just like laughing out loud and that you beat Dennis by three three strokes, two strokes, and you uh, shot your personal three. best. Yep. Three? Yep, yep. Nice, nice. I don't know which I was more happy about, taking down Dennis after all these years or uh, putting that 82 on the scorecard. Is that your first time beating him? Yeah, first time ever. I mean, we've been playing wow. for since he was in high school, so 10 years maybe. Nice, nice. Yeah, no, I'm doing good. We uh, we just went camping this weekend, so that was fun. That's right. I, I meant to ask you about that. How was that? Oh, it was good. Uh, yeah, I was supposed to borrow your tent, but right. we didn't end up needing it. So we all slept in this big old tent gotcha. in the Shenandoah National Park. Nice. I love that. Highly recommend if anyone wants to go camping or is so nice. thought about it. It's so beautiful down there. Right. It was great weather, too. So I want to do that hike, um, Old Rag. It's supposed to be one of the better hikes in the area, but it's pretty strenuous. So you got to go on like a clear day. Apparently, you have to get there early in the morning because the trail just gets packed with people. So, mm. Gotcha. All right. Good stuff. Well, um, let's jump right into it. How about you tell us, what are we covering today? This is a big one. Yes, today we are covering Vince's last book, The Last Man. This was a great book to go out on, I'll have to say. I was rereading it, and I think I texted you, I don't know, like right off the bat, and I was like, wow, I forgot how good The Last Man was, you know? Right. It's really good. Yeah, we had a few of those throughout the reread, just... I whipped out my phone, I think, three different times. It was like, no way, this is awesome. Yeah, a, a true masterpiece. What a swan song to go out on. Where Vince left these characters for us is just beautiful and brilliant. I'm really pumped to get into this one. You always give us the Goodreads score. Please, please, please tell me this book has one of the highest ratings. Please. So... It has a pretty high rating of three, 4.35. <laughs> it's about... That's the same. Um, just I know. <laughs> it's the same as all the other let ones. Me, uh, let me pull it up here. Um, no. So... A little higher. It's a little higher. Most of them are 4.3132. Okay, okay. Uh, the only other highest... The only other higher one was Consent to Kill, 4.36. All right, all right. I dig it. And it has a a lot, a lot of reviews. Um, True. And then on, when you go to Amazon, it it has, uh, this one had a lot of Amazon reviews, unlike some of the others. 4.7 out of 5,000 reviews. So. Solid. People like this book. Solid, yeah. Let me give you the Goodreads summary. A pulse-pounding thriller by number one New York Times bestselling phenomenon, Vince Flynn as Mitrap heads to Afghanistan to track down a missing CIA agent. The four dead guards didn't concern Mitrap as much as the absence of the man that, had been, that they had been paid to protect. Joe Rickman wasn't just another foot soldier. For the last eight years, Rickman had run 
the CIA's clandestine operation in Afghanistan. It was a murky job that involved working with virtually every disreputable figure in the Islamic Republic. More than a quarter billion dollars in cash had passed through Rickman's hands during his tenure as the master of black ops, and no one with a shred of sense wanted to know the details of how the money had been spent. At first glance, it looks as if Rickman had been kidnapped, but Rapp knows for certain that his old friend that caused him to wonder if something more disturbing isn't afoot. Irene Kennedy, the director of the CIA, has ordered Rapp to find Rickman at all cost. Rapp must navigate the ever-shifting landscape of Afghanistan as the Taliban, Iranians, Pakistanis, and Russians all plot to claim their piece of the war-torn state. With Afghanistan crumbling around him, Rapp must be ruthless as his enemies and deceitful as people in his own government if he had any hopes of completing his mission. It's a pretty good, uh, like... Detailed. Detailed. And it's very, like, I don't know... I feel like the good dude's writing more, not about a book, but about like what's actually going on in Afghanistan. (laughs) Right. So I actually, I want to jump in there and I hope you can play along, Chris, because I want to do something different with this book than we usually do because, you know, we usually follow the story in order chronologically as it takes place. Right. And we try to keep track of the very Flinian competing storylines where we're jumping chapter to chapter. In this book, I think Vince is trying and and succeeding at capturing the complexity of the war in Afghanistan. I, mm. I, I think this book mirrors what's going on on the ground, I would say better than some nonfiction historical right. books written about that time period. I think Vince, through the storytelling and having myriad characters in different places all centered around this one kidnapping i think is showing just i'll use the word again the complexity of the situation so i'm hoping today you and i can just kind of run down all the different characters and their roles in this and i think what we'll see is while there are many characters and i'm not being a hypocrite here i often critique not only vince's books but also Kyle's as sometimes jumbling up too many characters, um, right, particularly right. Vince. I think that's a critique I've had of his work more so than Kyle, that he has so well, many like characters. A, yeah. But, but here. Just like a kill shot. We just said it in kill shot. We just said in kill shot. Exactly. But here, there might even be double the amount of characters as no, kill shot. Exactly. And I appreciate it. And to me, it actually makes the book more realistic And it's not hard to follow along because each of those characters represents something, you know, our generation and older generations know is true. Like, like we lived through this time period. We saw that there were people at the State Department uh, interfering with what our intelligence operatives needed to be successful. Like, I think every character here is not an aside. I think they play a central role in building this universe that so closely relates to the real situation of the last 20 plus years, right? Since 9-11. And I think Vince does that masterfully. So I I just want to do like a character study of each of the people in this book and what their role is around this kidnapping. Sure. Yeah, no, that's great. And I think like to your point, the each character here has, has a, a reason to be there. 
Yep. And they're not just there to fill pages. They're actually there to, to fill a role. And like at times we've said that like this random character didn't need to be like this act didn't have to be from this random person, you know? And yes. And then what happens because Vince doesn't like to just bring in a character blind. He likes to give us like the whole backstory, which I appreciate, but then it's like, why am I reading 10 pages about this person? That's going to like in the end, not, not have any consequence, you know? Right. Well, so here there are consequences to almost everybody. Exactly. Exactly. What's, what the other thing that struck me when I was reading this, right, is so we're about to finally get out of Afghanistan next month, right? And it, in reading this book, which came out uh, the same year as Killshot, right? So twenty twelve, nine years ago, and in the book they're talking about getting out, like right. it's eminently that, like the whole reintegration program was the two years, and they're getting. I think Rav even says like, yeah, like they'll be out of here, you know, soon. And not, no, they're not. <laughs> And it was just, it really struck me like reading this, how at the time they thought they were getting out much quicker than what actually happened. Right. And I mean, let's, let's start there then with someone who you might at first glance think, huh, she's a minor character and doesn't come up all that often. Yet she's the architect of this plan called the reintegration plan. And that's Ariana Vintner. She's this state department I guess you would say an analyst or she, she seems someone on the low level, but she has this idea of as we pull out, let's train and hire and prepare the Afghanis to take the lead. And on paper, it sounds like a great idea. So the CIA and other uh, agencies, including the embassy, are pouring millions of dollars into finding, recruiting locals who can lead the police force and the military and establish an Afghani government that's stable. The problem is this money is being used a little too loosely and also too politically uh, you know, motivated. So right. the politicians who want this reintegration program to succeed at all costs just want to see action. They just want to see steps being taken. They, they just need data to say this is working without realizing the operators on the ground might be giving that money to the Taliban themselves, right? They might be reinforcing well, exactly. Taliban commanders like this guy Zahir, who are now leading the police force. And they're playing us. They're getting our money. And they're also spreading extremism and terrorism. Troops. Exactly. Yeah, but exactly. on the home front, the politicians and this Ariana Vintner State Department character, she's fine with that because it just looks like her program's working. Yes. And I thought her relationship with the colonel. Yes. Who he says he's about to become a he thinks he's about to become a general. Their relationship was interesting and in how he like sort of wanted to go along with her and he knew that riding her coattails would help him succeed. And, and you can see like there's these right. the, uh, politi political jockeying of people and you could see how that would be prevalent in uh, both the military and in the State Department. He's also no dummy though. He knows not to mess with rap. Like, yep. so he, he at least has some brains there. But yeah, I, it was, so she was never brought up again. We never met her again. No, she after... brought up maybe once. Right, so we have this scene where they're talking, right? The colonel and, and her are talking. And then we have the scene where she tries to 
you know, chew out rap, yeah. but rap, you know, forcefully comes back at her, uh, which was a great scene. Yep. Um, but then she's never really mentioned again. Yeah. So. And that scene, though, it just, it, I love it because this is one of the last times Vince gets to write a scene of rap in one of these boardrooms, you know, these conference rooms. Right. Going exactly. head to head with a bureaucrat. And he delivers here. I think rap, well, she's acting all like, I'm the boss of this meeting. The president tapped me, which, by the way, I'm a little surprised President Alexander gave her such reign or whoever the, I guess, the secretary of state in his cabinet gave her so much authority over this program. But but she's she's trying to throw her weight around. So in the meeting, rap just raises his hand and waits to get called on. You know, <laughs> Like she's a school marm or something. And then as soon as she calls on him, Rap calls her an imbecile and stupid. Well, yeah, because she asked him at the very beginning, like, do you think I'm stupid? And do you he's think like, I'm stupid? Oh, I don't I don't, I don't know, know you yet. well enough. You yeah. have to talk so you have to you have to talk more. And then she starts talking more and then he's like, I have the answer to your question, ma'am. You <laughs> yes. are stupid. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> that's it. Oh, that's it. <sighs> And then he goes a step further and he sees her wedding ring, but this is rap with his situational awareness. Mm, and he, he picks he knows. up she's awfully close to this colonel dude who's kind of like her foot, you know, soldier, her lackey, and he calls her out right there and says, I guess you don't like your husband. You're probably having an affair with Mr. Colonel over here. And Vintner just turns like just just red. She's just embarrassed. But Rap nails it. He calls her out and People like that need to be put in check. Yes, they do. Yes, they do. Yeah. But I, let's uh, let's go back a little bit because why why were they in that meeting in the first place? Right. Okay, so you mentioned this is a here guy, right? So I guess the the whole book is based off of a top level CIA official getting taken, the guy by the name of Joe Rickman, who. We're going to get into Rickman in, in a little bit. Um, his character, a great character by Vince, and a character that we're going to see carried over posthumously in, in, into the next book. Um, will haunt, haunt Mitch from the grave, right? But so Mitch is over in Afghanistan in order to, he's tasked to now find Rickman. You know, it's, it's almost like this 48 hours. Uh, when I was reading the first half of the book, I couldn't help but think that it was you know, detective rap. We're seeing like detective rap. We're seeing an episode of CSI Miami, you know, or yes. CSI Afghanistan, you know, yes. he's like, we have 48 hours to, if, you know, if we can't get him back in 48 hours, we're fucked. Yeah. You know, he spills and the beans. They, exactly. And they think about, I don't know if it's referenced earlier, if it's referenced later with um, like Bill Buckley, like yep. obviously on their mind has to be a real life, what when the station chief in Beirut got taken and he was leached for information over months, right? Yeah, and so many of our assets were blown because of that. Yeah, the whole spy network just goes up and up in flames. And so Rap first meets this is a here guy when he's over at the uh, Rickman's Rickman's house, right? So why don't you start us off with yeah. how the two of them meet? Yeah, I I think this is the first time I texted you and was like, this book is awesome right off the bat because rap is not going to play the game. We've already seen two other characters getting played by a guy like Zahir, who's one taking our money 
And now he's running the local police force we're supposed to, you know, delegate to and give power to in this reintegration program. But he's he's former Taliban. Like, he, he's a terrorist. And so Rap knows this, but he's playing both sides. And so Darren Sickles, the CIA point person, maybe even station chief? He is station chief in, of, in Afghanistan. Of Afghanistan. Darren Sickles is basically a pussy. And Zahir can do whatever he wants with him and thinks he has sickles in his pocket and zahir also talks back to hubbard they're both two of the cia CIA. leadership on the ground in afghanistan and zahir's playing them hubbard is actually scared and he cowers to him whatever he wants oh yes well rap shows up and it's not going to happen that way and and so here's what vince writes quote rap pressed the gun into zahir's face just under his nose here's what you need to know i'm not some state department weenie or some two-star corporate general who thinks the best way to advance my career is to kiss your terrorist ass and get the hell out of this place so someone else can come and deal with you assholes again in 20 years. I'm the guy they call when shit hits the fan. I'm the one they bring in to get results because they know I don't play by the rules. You're a bully and a piece of shit, and you're the kind of guy who I actually enjoy killing. Normally, I don't put a lot of thought into the people I shoot, but you fall into a special category. I figure I'd be doing the human race a favor by ending your worthless life. Those are some brutal words, man. I love this. He he offers him a deal, and he goes, you're going to work for me now. And it says, quote, and if you think I'm heading for the hills, I'll have a predator on you 24-7. If you make a call, if you step into the clear for a second, I'll shove a hellfire missile so far up your ass and blow you to hell. I'm going to call you in two hours, and if you don't answer, you're dead. If you answer the phone and tell me you haven't discovered anything, you're dead. Do you understand how this is going to work? Zahir ain't used to that shit. I love how he keeps on asking, like, "Is there money involved?" Like, he, he <laughs> and he's like, "You're not, you're not getting you this get through it. your thick skull. I am not offering you money. I am offering you your life. Yeah. Either you do this or you die. Or you die." What really struck me in this scene was, you could read that, and I would almost think that Stan Hurley is saying it, right? Not, right? Not Mitch Rapp. That you, this book sort of you see this transition of rap becoming more Hurley esque, even so far as like at the very end he he straight up quotes yep you know u- uses a phrase of Stan Hurley's that he, that Hurley says earlier in the book right can't wait to get to that and I I couldn't help but think that Vince is trying here to really show how much Hurley has shaped rap and and how rap works I don't know I've never just been blatantly hit in the face with something that rap's done that reminded me of Stan like this. Yep. So you are spot. You nailed that one. I a hundred percent agree. And I hadn't thought of it and coming off of kill shot. It's even more prescient because we were yeah, talking. Maybe about, it's because like it's in my mind because of kill shot, but that's why I love going in publication order because Vince was writing these in the same year and they were published sure, exactly. the same year. Exactly. And I think you, you would miss that subtlety and that deeper analysis, if you didn't know Killshot and this one were written so closely, that is awesome. I love hearing that. Yeah, yeah cool it, scene. It cool definitely, scene the house. You can definitely feel, I mean, it's just of a piece between kill, like the motives from American Assassin to Killshot and then to here. Very different than going from Pursuit of Honor to here, you know? Oh, extraordinarily different. Exactly. Yep. So. so something else happens at this house. Like you said, the reason yes. Zahir and Rap end up together at this house is he's investigating Rickman's kidnapping, which is really nice to meet another character 
Sydney Hayek, who is a CIA, would you call her analyst, I guess, but she's formerly FBI. Operative. So she's, yeah, an operative. So she's really good at uh, data collection and evidence collection. And she's also pretty smart with the technology. So maybe we have a Marcus Demond match uh, somewhere down the road. <laughs> that's that's all I was thinking when we met her. Although I like the scene where um, Rap wakes up and thinks that, uh, wait, am I dating this chick? <laughs> have we slept together? And she and plays, she plays along and says, yeah. yes, we have. Yeah. No. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, she's obviously, you know, an investigator. The CIA brought her over because she's good at what she does. She even like catches herself a couple of times where I need to stop thinking about, I need to stop thinking like a G man and, and more right. like a, a CIA operative. Right? right. But yeah, she's there to put, put pieces together and, and figure out things. So I would say like a hybrid uh, field analyst. I don't know. Uh, yeah, I think you're right. And her and rap at the pretty much the exact same time start realizing something's funny where the blood stains are Something's and the blood funny. patterns. Because it's like, wait, yes. these three bodyguards got taken out one shot, center of the head, like I would do it. But then this guy upstairs was a bloodbath, you know, blood all over the hallway in weird spots. With a big old gun. Yeah, with a different caliber gun. And then, wait a minute, if he was all bloodied and he was trying to break into the safe, because the safe was open and the documents were all cleared out, very sensitive classified information... Wouldn't you have blood all over the safe and the wall near it is showing evidence of a struggle? And Rap's like, Rickman right. was one of our best. He wouldn't have opened that safe without a struggle. You would see evidence of his blood. You know, they would have had to force it. But the safe was clean. And then one other thing she picks up on later on, that kind of evidence collection, is with the camera. And that's going to make a big Correct. difference in when she's investigating where Rickman was taken other people are like, oh, this camera doesn't have a memory card. It's useless. Well, she knows the internal flash storage might still mirror some of the data, and her people can get it. And she's willing to take that before the FBI gets in. So Sydney is uh, – she's she's pretty good at what she does and a good partner for Rap, Marcus, and Irene to have on their side. Yeah, and she even begins to – I don't know if – so she tells Rap like what caliber is that kills the guy upstairs, right? Yep. And Rap knows the sort of gun that Rickman liked to use, and that happens to be the same caliber. And so, at the very beginning, Rap is building this. He knows that something's not right here, and it might look like Rap, Rickman got taken, but he doesn't think that he got taken. He think, and and someone also cut like the, the security, like they got past like this top notch security, right? You know, the, the guards didn't know the codes, so something doesn't smell right. There's another scene with, with Hayek when we get involved with Joel Wilson. Like, they have this weird relationship, and she's right. actually the reason why she they, she left the FBI. Uh, and so I think, like, maybe Irene brought her into the fold because of everything that happened with that piece of shit, Joel Wilson. I don't know. I, I wish we got to see more of her. I, I don't remember her coming up again in, in other books. Yeah, I was I was trying to place her, and I don't think she does. Maybe Survivor, most likely, because that's like part two of yeah, this story. We'll see. Yeah, we'll see. We'll have to keep that in mind. I really liked her, so I I hope, because I've forgotten some of Kyle's middle books, like Order to Kill, An Enemy of the State. So I'm hoping she might have a, a mention in there. All right, well, we, we've talked about him a couple times now. I think we should just go right into Joe Rickman. What do you think? 
Yeah. So he is supposed to be this mastermind. Like, I think Doc Lewis even says that he has, you know, 210 IQ, which like right. Mitch and Stan, who are both intelligent people, like you put their two IQs together and it wouldn't even, might equal that. This guy like knows where money's going. And, and I think like later on, Mitch like, uh, thinks back on some times when he met Rickman trying to think about like why he would potentially come up with such a plan that he, that he does. And, you know, this guy is just so, he's such a loner. Like yeah. literally the only thing he, he was married, he does have a kid, but the only thing he has in life really is his dog and his job. And we never quite get, maybe in the survivor, it, it digs deeper into why he turned. We never fully get an answer about that. I, I guess, the the best answer that he tells Durrani in one of his scenes is lo- like the people in charge in Langley lost sight of, of what needed to be done. Yeah. Um, but I, I wanted a little bit more clarification of that. But yeah, so he, he constructs this huge mastermind plot, right? That starts with first him getting taken, which is why Rap has to go over there. They release a series of these interrogation photos. He actually goes through this brutal interrogation himself beaten to a pulp. And so when you're reading this, you know, the when you the first time you're reading this, you you actually think that Rickman is is taken. Right. Know? And cuz Rap doesn't actually even say his suspicions yet. Like you you don't know that Rickman's gone, you know, and these other things like unless you're like attuned to like thinking about that, right? But yeah. And then when you upon reread, when you see some of these when you see some of these things and you know that actually Rickman is still alive and he concocted this entire plot, you can see like, oh, when he mentions this thing, there's one point where he says, I like it when he comes in. And that's obviously when, uh, oh, what's his name? But Durrani's like main man who was overseeing all of it. Kasim maybe, uh, I think. Kasim, yeah. yeah. He's given him like painkillers. Yes. Yeah, giving him painkillers uh, or, or treats him nicely because – He's in on the plot, whereas the other the other the guards two are not. Taliban goons yeah. are, are not. The way Vince writes it, when you first read it, you don't think any of it, but when you reread it, it's like, oh, Rick is saying we need to make this look real. We need to make this, you know, mm-hmm. provable because Mitch is not gonna or Irene and Kennedy need to think that he's actually dead, right? You know what's a cool layer of that is it's so well planned. In these interrogation videos, he's even thought about what he should say to drive Kennedy most mad. I I think this is Kennedy's most stressful time in her profession so far, aside from being captured, right? Protect and defend. But aside from being physically harmed, I think this is the most emotional stress Kennedy's been under. It's a little nugget that Rickman drops into one of these interrogation videos as he's being beaten. He's giving up names left and right, some of them true, some of them fake, to make it look like what a real agent would do. Because Kennedy knows when you're taken, you and your mind are thinking, I'm going to give them some false information, some real information to screw them up. And Rickman's doing that to make it look even more believable. And at one point, to scare Kennedy thinking that he's cracking, he says, sitting bull. And I thought it was so cool. And I would love a spin-off story of Sitting Bull because it's like one line that says it was the code word for one of their highest placed assets in the Russian government. 
Right. And there's no way Rickman knew who that person was, but like just by saying the code name, like would, would since shockwaves everywhere. Right. Or maybe it was that Rickman wasn't even supposed to know about the sitting bull operation. And the fact that he said it shows to Kennedy, there's more shit in his brain than they even mm. thought there was, Ex- which he might give up. Yes. So that's going to kick Kennedy into gear of really freaking out and really hoping they can get some leads on this guy. I thought little details like that were super cool. And, and another one of Rickman's backstory to flesh him out more, because I was kind of wondering, why haven't we seen him? Like if Rap and yeah, he have no, operated, but we get a little story, like you said, Rap and he, I think we're in, I forget where they were, but they were on an op and he said, Rickman started talking about his kid and his wife randomly and kind of looked like he had some screws loose. Like he wasn't totally he was drunk, yeah. put together. He, it was the one time he saw him operationally, you know, get drunk. And then another detail, he was one of the first guys on the ground when we went into Afghanistan and he would ride around on horseback with the locals, giving out money, seeing who's on our side, pretty much organizing the Northern Alliance. And, you know, I've read about that. These like 40, 50 year old guys who were out of the game or close to getting out of the game, yet they were the first ones to go in. A lot of these CIA guys were on the ground in the local villages days after 9-11, just ready to kind of make alliances, see who's on our side, work going. turn the locals, you know, against the Taliban. And that was Rickman. I love that scene. He's on horseback in full, you know, Afghani garb, riding around with the locals, like trying to sort out who's Taliban, who's not. It's just super cool. No, he's he's a cool character. And it, it is unfortunate, like, we've never seen him before. And then, like, that makes his turn. And I want to bring up, like, the whole, the, the moment where you get to the point, right, where you've seen a couple interrogation videos and then, right, Hayek gets the last bit of video from the tape and it shows um, what is supposed to be Rick's death. Yeah. And you're like, and everyone sort of breathes like this sigh of relief and CIA, Kennedy feels awful about feeling guilty. Yeah. She even, I don't know. We, when we were going to do this, this pod differently, I, I made her my winner of the first half and it's kind of like a weird winner, but like just the emotional growth we, we saw her go through, I guess we've never really seen that with her. She actually forces herself to watch a couple of these videos, the full hour long video herself. And then because she needs to, she can't cry. She knows that in five minutes, she's going to have to go watch that video again with her men, with her people, with, with her women, you know, whatever. And she has to be strong. Right. Rap even says, you don't need to watch that whole video. Like there's already analysts like that are going to give you the plot points, give right. you the, you know, exactly what he said when we get back on the ground. She's like, no, I need to do this. And at, at the time, she feels really bad. You know, like Rickman, it, this is probably another layer of, to emotionally, emotional terrorism, I guess, to obviously Irene feels for, you know, this is her, one of her people who th- she thinks she, she got killed somehow, let him down. And then, but then when you get to the point where there's that scene where Durrani is like giddy, he's running through his house and he goes into this room and you he describes like this pink flesh like in a in a sea of white pillows and he says like either Joe or Rickman or something and you're just like what he's still alive like yeah and Durrani's happy to that, see him like, <laughs> exactly it's he's like, like what he, Durrani was in on it 
I know we haven't even gotten into the, the Pakistani guys yet, right. but just that was so powerful. I felt like that's something that we hadn't really seen. Yeah. Like by from Vince, I, I don't think like this, like sort of bait and switch. That's such, you're right. That is a powerful moment and it it's hard to recapture it on a reread, but yeah, it is. It's so masterfully done on a first read. It's, it's kind of akin to what Chris Howdy did in deep state. He had this major turn with his character, Haley chill. And it's like, you get some real knockout thrillers when that happens. I I kind of forgot that the last man was that. I think mm. that reveal might be one of the biggest singular turning points in any rap story outside of Consent to Kill. Yeah, I was gonna say it. It, it it's very similar to Anna's death. Yeah, you know, like upon reread, it's it's a it's 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 very different. But like when you're first reading it, yeah. It's like, whoa, you know, like yeah. having like rap figure out like in, in the past, the only other thing that we've seen is like some politician was mm-hmm. involved right. uh, and they're or, exposed and they're exposed, you know, but that's something different than, all right, this is one, obviously rap's wife dying and two, someone that was supposed to be working with irene and with mitch and obviously they they seem to care about him a little bit because they're trying to get him back well they care about their their network of spies but you know they need to get him back yeah and it seems like mitch is not stopping at anything in order to try to do that so it it was that really hit hard for me it's so true and that is or the complexity it's like a it's like a snape killed dumbledore moment it it absolutely (laughs) i 100 percent agree with you spoiler alert like right, <laughs> right, right, right. We are not the Har- no limits the Harry Potter <laughs> podcast. There's way too many of those. <laughs> right, right. The dime a dozen. There's only one Mitch Rap podcast. Mitch Rap podcast. <laughs> I-, I was just gonna say though, some of this plan and how complex and deep it is. While we just wrap up Rickman and who he is, Hurley later on in the book. When he gets called in, because, you know, well, unfortunately, we're going to have to talk about his diagnosis. And so he's not that active right now with with little time to live. But he says, this is like some old school Russian Soviet stuff. You know, Mm, they turn your organization inside out. They they make you think, who can you trust? Who are your agents? Who are your assets? They start turning you inside out where you pull assets out of the field, you know, want to come in from the cold even though they don't have to, they make you think there's a threat when there isn't a threat. Rickman is doing this like triple feint on all these different layers already as is. And that just kind of got revealed to us, like just dropped on our lap to sort through. You almost have to close the book, put it down and just say, who, what just what? happened? Wait, what just, no, no, he didn't. Wait, he mastermind all that and drove Kennedy nuts. Like he's got Kennedy and rap turned inside out. Yeah big moment and just what a plan i mean even just to get back to the story it even comes down to small details like he had hubbard tell rap that he took his dog to the vet and they put him down right like he thought what is rap going to want to know to get a lead on this story Mm -hmm. and he's like rap is going to want to lead on where i was before this all went down let me feed him this little line that what drove me nuts is i had to put my dog down but then he feeds him disinformation because the vet said he never put the dog down. Someone at the vet's office was like, oh, yeah, he came in here. We told him, you know, to go home. And so he knew Rap would show up at the vet to investigate. 
Like he's thinking multiple layers ahead of who like he's playing rap he played rap oh for sure rap gets played yeah well i mean i think the most logical thing to go into is is louis gold right louis gold absolutely louis gold had him in his sights you know he we so that's the other thing right you're reading this book and if you are he's just called the assassin right 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 if you know mitch rap and you've read the other books a couple of the lines that Vince put in, you clearly are like, oh, this is Louis Gold, right? But like, if you if you don't, or if you if you're not as attuned as us, when you get that drop of like, oh shit, this is Louis Gold, or oh, I killed his wife. When as yeah. soon as he says, when I killed his wife, you're like, oh, that's the Louis Gould. Is Louis Gould what? <laughs> yeah, but you can pick up on it. You're yeah. so right. There's yeah, little lines like, he hired this assassin because he knew he's in the game for the highest kills. He knew. He wouldn't turn down the contract because he's an egomaniac who wants to kill the best. You know, he wants to hunt the hunters. And like, you could read that line and be like, wait, we met somebody like that. Louis. He's like, I, he had almost got out of the game a couple, like four years ago, but he had to get back in. Right. Right. Even though his wife didn't like it. There are little hints like that. Exactly. Very little hints. Yeah. And then it builds up slowly. And then when he, when he first sees his target, he's like, he knows that man, you know, like he's a million dollars is not enough to, I, he, cause he's taking a contract for way for, for, to kill that exact same guy for way more, more money. And then you're like, Oh, okay. You know, finally it's like beating over the head. This is Louis Gould. Yep. That's a pretty cool drop. And, and that drop is in the midst of, Perhaps the best action scene. Actually, I'm going to say it. The best action the scene of this book. <laughs> yeah, I guess we get a little action at the very end. But right. yeah, like, but it's very cool. And um, here, it, it's so cool that Scott Coleman's brought in. We, we lose someone else. An, another major turning oh, yeah. point. We lose McReavers in this fight. We do lose McReavers. And here's yes, the, here's the other crazy thing. All of this only happens because Louis Gould ends up saving the day. It's, he does. it's this dichotomy of Louis Gould takes the contract. He puts himself in the mental space of, I'm ready to take the shot. You know, I'm going to close a chapter of my life that's been really difficult ever since Rap let him go, right? Rap essentially gave him his life. Louis Gould's ready to take the shot, but he notices watchers on both ends of the street and he knows he's a loose end. The people mm-hmm. who hired him, who have been very secretive, don't want loose ends. And he says, wait, I'm going to be a loose end. He notices even more watchers and military people blocking the ends of the street. He thinks about making his escape and realizes it's going to be really hard to get away. And he's kind of pinned in. And Louis trapped and says, I have one option here basically to stay alive. And that's to walk across the street, tell Rap and his men to get ready that this is an ambush. And he's fighting with Scott Coleman on the roof. Like... They're coordinating. Scott's like, you take over there. Give me some cover over here. They're hiding behind the parapet. I think one time Scott's about to get hit and Louie either pushes him out of the way. So Louie saves Rap's life from the ambush, saves Coleman's life, and is the only reason the investigation can continue. Unfortunately, the collateral damage of that is McReavers gets shot in this ambush. And he saves Joe Mazik's life. And he saves Ma- shot. Maz, that's who he saves on the roof. You're right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But 
yeah, the, the whole like the description of these military police officers coming in, and I love the whole. I, I never heard that before, but the, the blue on green, like the fighting yes. of of blue on green, and how it got very quiet, and then Mitch is taking people out, and then he then he knows that they're about to storm it, so he he brings down these oxygen tanks, and then. He ultimately, I mean, that's what causes him to go in the hospital. He explodes on these tanks, and then I imagine him like flying back into the into a wall, holding like this Corian like countertop to protect him from bullets. And then yeah. Scott has to like drag him up the up the ladder. He doesn't even know where he is. He's probably like seeing little little birdies going around his head. Yeah, yeah. But L- Louis does his part. He he takes out the guys, and and but the thing is. He thinks he's doing it to save Rap's life, but he's actually doing it, like you said, Saving to save himself. his own life. Yeah. Yeah, so. he knows even if he kills Rap, he's going to have his his uh, boss who gave him the contract hunting him, and he knows they're good. He, he knows they're professionals. By closing the loop with Rap, he's just opening another one he's going to have to look over his shoulder for. So it's in his best interest to team up with Rap and hope Rap will give him a third chance. Because he already got a second chance from Rap. I think this is Rickman's biggest mistake of his plan. Bringing in Louie. Bringing in Louie. Hmm. I think he you're was right. banking. He was banking on no. the fact that... Durrani. Getting in bed with Durrani. Maybe. But he had... He See, he had counter like countermeasures for Durrani. Against Durrani. Like, that's true. Because Durrani was, was scared, right? As soon as he said... That uh, right. if I if I don't you know essentially if I don't check in with this lawyer by this date he's gonna start releasing information that you were involved True. and that you killed he had me an insurance policy and then, then he had an insurance policy doesn't wouldn't stop Durrani from killing him but yeah uh, he Rickman didn't have one way with to Louis. get out yeah he he didn't have one with, with Louis he should have had an assassin to kill the assassin but I just think bringing in someone with that much baggage of rap you don't know what he's gonna do. It's true. Obviously, Rap spared his li- spared his like Rickman had to have known that Rap spared his life. Oh no, Rickman! I think was trying to exploit that by bringing in Louis, m- giving Louis the incentive to want to kill Rap so he won't have him on his conscience ever again, and also it will rub the wounds into the CIA even more if there is a photo of Louis or evidence gets out that it was Louis. It just again seems like a failure of intelligence where they could have, they had this guy, right? Like rap had him dead to rights. It, I think it would just be another way to twist them out of shape. So I think, I think bringing in Louie could have been this like icing on the top of completely upending the CIA and making them, I think Rickman's ultimate goal, if we want to get there, because there is this Joel Wilson and Senator Ferris and all this, I think he wants a reorg of the CIA and our intelligence priorities. I, I do yeah. think his long game is he wants America to be shaken up so much and our intelligence apparatus so overhauled for the good of our protection and for ultimately that we grow. But he's going about it in this freaking insane complex plan. I think Louis bringing Louis Gould in, and here's another maybe why it was a mistake. Hurley says, don't make it personal. And I think... Exactly. Rickman wanted to bring in Louis Gould to show Kennedy Rath to make the establishment that this is personal. Yeah. Yes. I I think he was thinking all those things you said and and that he, he thought he knew what Louis was going to do, but I think by making it personal, you take that 
you know, expectation out of it. Like true. you, when, because it's so personal, you don't know what Louis is going to do. Right. True. He exactly what he did. As soon as he saw Mitch in the crosshairs, he could have, he could have killed, he could have taken him out as soon as he, he saw had him. him, but it's that X factor. Yeah, I don't know. It, once you bring it in is. the personal relations and the emotions, your perfectly laid plan might might have a rug pull, right? When relationships mm, yeah. and and prior history is involved, I, you're right. You're right. You you introduce an X factor that you just like the end of consent to kill. You just, just and Kennedy says this. There's a quote when Kennedy is thinking back on who Louis is and all this. And actually, I think I have it here. So this is later on, right? When Kennedy gets to talk to Gould. But I think it connects to what you're saying about this this X factor. So Kennedy says to Gould later, quote, You might not understand this, but I care about what happens to you. Gould looked up at her with disbelieving eyes. I know that's hard for someone like you to believe, but it's true. Mitch spared your life for reasons that I don't entirely understand. Which leaves me to wonder if there isn't a bigger reason that none of us understand. And still don't, uh, none of us understood and still don't understand. You have a role to play here, Mr. Gould. I don't know what it is yet, but I think we're about to find out. I think Vince is introducing some, you know, divine intervention here. Mm. Like Kennedy is saying, and she's the most with it person in the whole story, right? Right, exactly. Like, she is usually the mastermind that Rickman is in this book. That's usually her pulling the strings. And yet she's at a loss for words saying, there's a bigger reason Mitch let you go. There's a bigger reason you are here in this fight right now. I don't get it. You don't get it. Mitch doesn't get it. But there is a reason you were brought into this. Like, there's some, like, supernatural undertones there. And it's wild to think about Vince bringing Louie back in that way when Vince is also, you know, on his way out. Powerful. I was going to bring that up here. How do you feel about the things, the little breadcrumbs that obviously Vince had to know that his time was coming when he wrote this book? He brings in, he brings back in Louis Gould, you know, probably the most hated villain from his previous books. Yep. If not, if not the most, one of the most. We haven't got to the yet, but he essentially kills off Stan Hurley, like. Yep. says that he's dying. He has yep. only has six months to live. And then there's this other thing that I wanted to, to bring up where, so after Mitch, this fight scene, right, or this uh, fighting scene at the vet, Mitch has to go in the hospital. Mm-hmm. And he, ha- he has a memory loss. And we see a side of Mitch that we've never seen before. And it's it's very interesting how it felt to me like a reset for Mitch. Because mm-hmm. after Anna, he goes into this very dark, bleak hole, and he's slowly been coming out of this hole. But he's also been wait like he even says to Doc Lewis in later on in the book that you know he was very short with people. He, mm-hmm. you know, something changed after Anna's death, and he's he's worried. He's like, I was like that, and I I want to. I I don't know if this is even the case, but just this ability to sort of change. I was thinking of like a theme and I was like the tale of two raps, you know, like mm. we see a very different, I mean, he's still the same rap, but just there's little things, little nuances with his personality that change after 
that coma or after that memory loss, not not a coma, but I guess a little bit, but after the, the, the incident, right. Where he has his memory loss and maybe does that allow Kyle then to shape his personality in, in the way that he wants to? Whoa. Cause obviously Kyle has done that. Kyle is, as you know, Mitch is funnier. Mitch has, right. You know, doesn't crack these. It, he, I guess, Mitch was always, always had some sense of humor, but holy cow, Kyle gives him way more of a sense of humor. I don't know. I'm, I'm probably stretching no, at, at straws here, but I don't. That's that's incredible. A lot of this book, he uses this book to almost pass the torch in so many other ways, but I hadn't thought of that one. You know, one loose end of this book, I was trying to wrap up, and and maybe almost was going to be one of my losers at the end was the concussion, and Rap losing a lot of his memory. And then I'm like, does he gain back his memory too quickly? Because a few chapters later, he seems to be with it. But there are some, you know, lighthearted, jovial exchanges like Sidney Hayek lying and saying, we sleep together um, when she's there at the hospital bed. And he's like, really? Oh, well, can we still do that, even though you were joking? <laughs> like, that's a funny-ass rap. I think you are right that Vince is maybe bequeathing this new rap as a fresh slate, a blank slate to the torchbearer. Like that is really deep. Or, or even if he didn't want to pass it on to someone else, maybe he himself wanted to start to write Mitch differently, you know? True. Cause obviously he had the plan to write the next book. Like it, he, I just think that there's a definitive, the same base level of Mitch is going to be there, but True. he wanted to get away from that brooding, post consent to kill rap and and get to a different state of rap's life you know which we've now gotten to with kyle we have right we absolutely have and that opens the door for claudia and anna and everything where exactly if mitch didn't have this kind of moment or this reawakening would he ever have opened himself up to be vulnerable with claudia or with a partner person or even with as a stepfather essentially he even says that in, at the end of the book with Doc Lewis. He's like, I want that again. Yeah. I want what I had with Anna. Yeah. Maybe it took that explosion so, and the memory loss for him to regain those memories in a different light and think of them differently, mm-hmm. this time more positively, and want to recreate them. Wow. That's something, Chris. Oh, Doc, you know, Doc Lewis also comes in, you know, thinking of Vince wanting to bring back all these you know, old timers. All these characters. Days. Doc Lewis comes back. Doc Lewis comes back and he and Kennedy have, actually, I think Doc Lewis cooks. He always cooks the pasta. So I, th- I think he, he makes, makes dinner. And they're helping wrap piece together his memories and get him through it. Even Greta's brought up at one point. And Rap's Oh, says, yes. I wanted to bring this up. Yeah. They're like, do you remember anything from that time period? You know, after your training, do you remember, what do you think about Switzerland? And Rap's like, hmm, Switzerland. I think I know some people there. And they try to pry. Hey, Olmeyer. Like, do you remember, you know, the Olmeyer clan? He's like, yes, 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 yes. And then one of them is like, you know, there was a daughter, right? And Rap's like, hey, I'm not going to spill the beans on everything to you. He's like, some things in my personal life can be left alone. And and Kennedy and Lewis look at each other and they're like, all right, that's fair. We won't pry that one open. <laughs> so that's the little bit of closure we get on Greta. That's like, the closure essentially- on Greta. Never getting the third book, uh, never, you know, seeing how that plays out. 
that's Vince like tying it up a little bit. But it proves what we talked about in Killshot that something must happen on such a deep level. Rap wants to protect her at all costs by never having her and Kennedy and the CIA crew intertwined with with her life. And so Rap just shuts mm-hmm. it down and says, nope, you, the CIA and all this and the American government, our problems do not get entwined with that personal part of my life. Leave it alone. And they quarter it. They just section section it off and say, that's a border we won't cross. I, I like the line where Rap's like, he's like staring at the bar. I was like, can one of you remind me what I like to drink? <laughs> and I wanted, to, I wanted him to say Booker's because the very first book, he says his favorite thing is Booker's. <laughs> but now he's into vodka. Like he's been into vodka for a while now. Dude, we get an even better nugget though. I would have liked the Booker's reference. Yep, that is his first drink. In oh, the, the nice tequila when he's drinking uh, margaritas, when he's drinking uh, Eden Mexican. Right. But he lists a bunch of stuff. He's like, I like the tequila and margarita when I'm in Mexico. I I got sick on Campari once. <laughs> and then he goes, hold on. He goes, <laughs> I think it was someone else says, you got sick on Campari once. And then he goes, that was Stan's fault. <laughs> and then, oh no, hold on. Here's the quote. This drinking scene. Oh, I love it. Kennedy didn't know, but had heard something about Rap not holding his liquor. Dumb enough to think that he can go drink for drink with Stan. Can you imagine that scene? A young Rap, just a few missions under his belt, thinking he can go drink for drink with Stan on Campari. Like, they gotta be in Italy or something. Uh, Oh my god, that would be hysterical. Yeah, no, and this it's just these little nuggets that we get to get into Mitch's mind that I feel like we've never really seen before. You know, because when we were when we first met him, right, Anna was peeling back that onion. She you know, was. She was. He was like Shrek, right? She was prying. She was, <laughs> she was prying back that onion, loosening him up. You know, because he was very reserved, obviously. But we always thought it was because of Maureen's death or Mary's death. Who still haven't figured that out. Um, you know, his fiance's death. Uh, could be because of what ha- happened to Greta, I guess. But and then we he immediately shuts down again post Anna, and now w- with this we are beginning to see more personality of Mitch, and I yeah. like it. It's almost like with Marine's death, Anna does play a role in helping him get out of that almost some semblance of a normal life. Then consent to kill happens, mm-hmm. and pretty much from consent to kill until now, the last man. Mitch is a brooding kind of sour, really hasn't moved on all that much. No. And this is the moment where he's finally moving on. And that chapter might be the longest in the book, forty chapter 46. And that might be purposeful to give us some time with Doc Lewis and Kennedy and Rap and Hurley. Uh-huh. And they're talking about the drinking games. It almost seems like that scene is... It's like the going away party, if you will. You know, like Vince Mm. is kind of just trying to savor time, time with with these these characters characters together. And actually, that is the chapter of the book, I would say, which is most relaxed, where every other chapter is layer on layer of complexity and problems and backstabbing and what Rickman's doing and the FBI guy, which we haven't even talked about yet, and the Pakistanis. And this is just where we can slow down with the people we love and Hurley being there he even offers a toast you know he's been told he has six months to live with the cancer diagnosis 
they're all sitting around. They have a safe house. Did you hear this in Rappahannock County? That's actually where you were camping. Yes, yes. All all this is taking place right where you were camping, and I was golfing this past weekend, right next to the Shenandoah. I couldn't believe that the safe house they say is an hour northwest of Dulles, out towards the Shenandoah. So pretty cool. And yeah, this run run by some retired uh, CIA couple. I want to be that retired CIA couple. <laughs> <laughs> Just I, taking care of a safe house? I might te- Yeah, that's right. That was kind of cool. I might tear up here, though, because I got to read the toast that Hurley offers to the, to the group. And I, and I think since Consent to Kill, this is the most emotional moment I've had reading, reading a rap book. So, quote, I've had an amazing life. No regrets. At least none that I'm going to tell this group. Well, maybe I'll tell Mitch before I croak. But I don't want to <laughs> see any long faces. We're all dying. The fact that I've made it this long is amazing. Hurley held up his glass. To a full life. To a full life, Chris. To a full life. Slanja. All right, we have to thank our patrons, including our special operator, Sherry F., our special agents, George, Matt, Don, Dennis, Peggy, Catherine, Ray, Bridget, Jeff, and Mark. Please subscribe, rate, and review using your favorite podcasting platform. Um, five stars on Apple Podcast. You can find us online at mitrepod.com or using our Twitter or Instagram, which hasn't been active for a while, but I'm going to get back on that this week, uh, at mitrepod. And as always, just let Mitch be Mitch. Just a disclaimer, this podcast is not affiliated with Vince Flynn, Kyle Mills, or Simon & Schuster, but thank you to them for bringing us the wonderful world of rap. And the music soundtrack is Guerrilla Tactics by Raphael Crooks.